Good day, everybody. Welcome back into Mining Stock Daily Market Commentary today here with our friend Craig Hemke from the TF Metals Report. Craig, welcome back to the podcast. Always a pleasure, Trevor. Uh, I got to admit, there must be a conference taking place here. I know New Orleans Investment Conference is uh, up and running, I believe. Uh, But news flow today was awfully quiet. Um, you know, this, this kind of, we're going to talk precious metals here in a little bit, as you and I always do. But let's kick things off with what we're seeing in the mining and exploration sector. After Beaver Creek, things got really quiet once again. Uh, is there anything kind of sticking out, you know, on your screen that, uh, you know, is showing some sort of excitement or enthusiasm? Nope. Next question. No, anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. I've forgotten about the New Orleans conference. I've never been. Have you? I have not, uh, unfortunately. I want to go, but it's always like family conflicts every year. I, I've I've communicated with Brian a few times, and uh, he's like, "Yeah, come on down." I said, "Well, I'm not paying to come down. I mean, <laughs> you can have me come speak or something." But I'm not. So anyway, I've never never been there, though. I do think New Orleans is a fun town. Um, anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, there, there's some signs of life, maybe, uh, if you take that as um, having a heartbeat. <clears throat> um, I don't, I'm not sure the metals and the shares are ready to climb off the mat yet. But I, I'm feeling better that maybe the worst is past or has passed. I remember, and we probably discussed this the last time we talked, Trevor, I was really worried that we were tracing out a pattern like 2013. In that uh, back then we had, <clears throat> excuse me, moved to new all-time highs and then had held the area around 1550 for about a year and a half. And there were a whole bunch of stops built under that. And when that floor broke, price fell $200 in two days. And I was really worried that would happen again, you know, because we'd held 1700 for about two years. When that floor broke, we kind of moved down in stages to the low a couple weeks ago near 1625 but we didn't just have the bottom drop out mm-hmm. you combine that with the commitment of traders positioning where even after last week the hedge funds are still net short gold uh you combine that with a very low uh total open interest of 430 some odd thousand contracts and i i suspect that there's there's just not enough natural selling or shorting at this point to really smash prices lower. Now, again, I've also been expecting the stock market to collapse. And I've been telling everybody about crash warning, as I've called it, since Jackson Hole, really. So for six weeks. And if you get kind of a general, you know, risk-off liquidation, where, you know, anything with a bid, anything that's liquid gets sold, then obviously, you know, we're going to see the precious metals fall again. But, But I don't, I think, to me, I think, the risk of a new low in gold is not real high, and I feel pretty good that silver's lows for the year are in. But you know, who am I? I'm not even invited to the New Orleans investment. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, you know, this is it's interesting. How much of this backdrop are we just kind of waiting to get clarification on? Uh, regarding the market and the gold equities. Again, we'll table pressure the actual metals here 
uh, for another minute or two, but I do want to focus on the equities. We're seeing oil start to get another bid off of the OPEC news last week of uh, cutting production guidance. Uh, it's so we're, we're seeing gold kind of correct here after a fairly big move last week as well. So there's not a whole lot of clarification yet whether the mining stocks are verified that value trade right now because of those tightening margins. Uh, you know, right. how, how much of that macro backdrop are you paying attention to to look for that clarification of when that up, up opportunity is going to kind of come back into fruition? Well, you're, you're, you're wise to point that out. And that's kind of a one side of that story, too. Um, for the shares in general to move higher. And again, company specifics, you know, from company to company, equity to equity are always going to vary. But in general, you need uh, one or both of those things to happen. Uh, energy prices, because that energy is the really across the board, maybe the most important or most, you know, vital part of uh, a cost structure for a miner. You need energy prices to come down. And or you need, you know, the cost that they sell their stuff at to go up. And at this point, energy prices are still up and going higher, it seems. And the price of the product is going down. And so, yeah, your margins can continue to get squeezed. And that kind of impacts everything, right? Cash flow and and everything else. And so that keeps interest in uh, taking, you know, positions in the sector pretty low. Then from there, I mean, you need this. As with all equities, um, you need this kind of, I don't want to call it the all clear, but this recognition that either, you know, the Fed and is done tightening or is at least getting close. And, you know, what generates that, you know, all clear siren is up for debate too, but it, it obviously isn't sounding yet. And so you're still in this position where, I mean, geez, the GDX is down 50% in two years. Doesn't mean it can't go down further. But, you know, we're probably pretty well washed out here, but just no impetus yet to start the climb back up yet. Yeah. We saw a little bit of divergence between uh, the precious metals and the general stock market last week with gold and, well, especially silver moving up very rapidly as compared to the market. And in fact, the gold miners, uh, at, at least for a day or two, were outperforming the metals themselves. So there is, if you can take it, a little bit of those early signs that maybe there is a little bit of uplift slowly taking place. But is it enough to kind of just hang your hat up on one or two days of trading that shows signs of life, Craig, or do you need more follow through here? Well, we know now, I mean, we suspected this and really knew it at the time. We know now that that action last week was almost entirely a short squeeze of the hedge funds on COMEX that were short silver futures, gold futures too. I mean, the commitment of traders changes last week were huge and it was primarily due to hedge funds, which had been something like, I don't know, short 43,000 COMEX gold contracts, reducing that to short 8,000. Wow. That's, a lot of, wow. that's a lot of buying to cover those back. And, and silver in five days moved up $2.30 or something like that. Again, all short squeeze. So what you saw, um, and I, I've described this several times now this way, was it, it wasn't the pivot, 
It was a pivot by a central bank, and it was a hint of what you'll see when the pivot arrives. Um, it's just a function of what it's going to take and how long it's going to take to get there. I mean, I, I wrote about this in January, and I thought a 20% drop in the S&P would be all it would take, like the fourth quarter of 2018, and I thought by, you know, by summertime, and here we are in the fall, I thought by summertime, the bottom would be in and, and we'd be going back higher because the Fed already would have stopped. Um, that obviously hasn't worked out that way. This has been a longer process than, than I expected. But I, I just can't imagine we're not headed that way. I mean, the, the, the Fed and all the other central banks are faced with a choice. I mean, if, if the Fed can keep hiking and they continue to not support the bond market by not doing QE, and they risk everything getting out of control and derivative you know, collapses, you know, with all the interest rate swaps out there. I mean, you name myriad of potential problems that they are opening everything up to by continuing to hike rates. And at some point, probably actually too late, they'll reverse because what's the other choice? You know, the big reset. <laughs> and that's, I don't think that's their number one thing they're trying to accomplish. They want to keep the plate spinning uh, as long as they can. And so it, it's coming. What you saw was, just a little, that last week was just a little glimpse of what it's going to be like when it, when it all actually happens. Craig, there's two big news items coming down later this week, and I want to get your thoughts on them. You can either separate them out or mention them collectively. Uh, first, we got the CPI print inflation number. I don't necessarily see how investors uh, will see a magnificent move or a bounce up without inflation uh, coming down substantially. I feel if it comes in line or even higher, obviously it's going to keep uh, that argument for the Fed to continue raising interest rates uh, kind of in their holster. Uh, but the second news item, I believe, is also Friday's a big day for the British gilt market as it's the last day under these emergency measures of the Bank of England for them to come in and support the gilt buying mechanism that you know, obviously lit a fire behind precious metals last week. And we've talked about numerous times on the podcast and mm -hmm. last time. Um, I mean, this could be a double-edged sword. It, it's a lot to take in and a lot to shift through. But I actually really kind of think that the Bank of England move on Friday, if we see a reaction of them either buying more or not buying, is going to be ultimately more saying and more telling on the global side of the narrative than the CPI print, but that's just me. You know, how are you kind of watching these two news items and, and, and how are you kind of managing those expectations? Well, you've nailed it, Trevor. Um, I, I, I should suspect there could be a short term drop in the precious metals Wednesday and Thursday with the PPI Wednesday and the CPI Thursday, because I, they should remain pretty sticky. Uh, the inflation levels, and if that's the case, then the dollar is going to go up because the bond market's going to sell off and everybody's going to be talking about the Fed raising and hiking for longer and all that kind of stuff. But then that could reverse by Friday, as you said, um, in the same manner that things reversed a couple weeks ago when the Bank of Japan intervened to uh, support the uh, yen. And then, what, like the next day, you had this thing with the Bank of England. Let's take the inflation thing first, though, because... I have been under the contention, I've, I've been floating this idea of stagflation since about June of 2020. 
And that stagflation, stagnant economy with inflation was the ultimate outcome of all this COVID stuff. And now here we are. I, I mean, I don't think that's any even debatable. That's, you know, the economic conditions that we're in. What could, if the inflation numbers stay high in the short term, like I said, the dollar, you know, soars and rates go up and bond market sells off. But what we're waiting for, you know, in, in how the price is determined is for real interest rates to start going back down. And in the 21st century, real interest rates are calculated not by the actual current month-over-month, year-over-year inflation rate, but they're calculated by inflation expectations over the next five or 10 years. And what has not been sticky yet are inflation expectations. In fact, they've been coming down. People think, oh yeah, the Fed's going to hike and, you know, like we're all, you know, classically trained Keynesians from Econ 101, well, the Fed's going to hike and so the money supply is going to contract and inflation's going to come down. You know, and maybe not. And if the longer inflation stays elevated, the stickier inflation expectations get and begin to rise. And then that becomes uh, positive for gold, silver, all risk assets as, you know, real rates move back down toward the negative. To your question, though, about the Bank of England, I, this is when I, what I said earlier about <clears throat> these central banks, including the Fed, being trapped. At some point, uh, the Fed is going to be forced to intervene again in the U.S. bond market. Because right now, nobody's, none of the big institutions are buying. Not the Bank of Japan, not the Bank of England, not the ECB, not the People's Bank of China, not the Fed. And so you've got this growing, consistent amount of supply through treasury refunding and treasury new issuance, while at the same time, you know, not many buyers, and rates are going to continue to go up to the point where they could kind of lose control like what happened in England. And now they've got their own specific set of circumstances with their all their pensioners and their government and public and private pension systems and all that kind of stuff and their exposure to the the British bond market. But the Bank of England tried to play this same game as the Fed on a smaller scale. And everything was that Wednesday morning on the verge of completely breaking. And so what they do, they had to come in and fix it. And they had to, you know, oh, we're only going to do this for two weeks. <laughs> and as you said, yeah. the two weeks is over on Friday. Well, God, if, if they walk out again, Trevor, if they say that was it, two weeks, well, they're going to be right back to square one. And so... What I expect is come Friday, they're going to say, yep, we're going to continue to do this on a certain level to support the bond market, so that doesn't happen again. Proving, again, where all of this is headed. That once the central banks opened Pandora's box back in 2009 with quantitative easing to drive uh, zero interest rate policy and negative interest rate policy and everything else, corporate welfare for their banks, um, hmm, that was the point of no return. That's crossing the Rubicon. And uh, again, the, I think what the Bank of England is showing is that that's exactly the path that the ECB and the Fed will have to take at some point. It's just that we're not there yet, so we've got more frustration ahead. Boy, like I said, last week was just a sniff, a whiff of what's to come when it's finally universally acknowledged that the Fed's going to head that way too. Yeah. Uh, let's open up the grand debate we've had since then, and, and I'd love to get your thoughts here. I know the term QE, quantitative easing, is often used loosely uh, for the last you know, 10, 12 years. Uh, with this move to the Bank of England, 
Craig. Uh, I mean, I can understand why people use the term QE to define it, but isn't it more of a yield curve control definition rather than QE because they're not making a move in their yields per se. They're literally just supporting the bond market. Yes, but again, what is QE? It's supporting the bond market, right? (laughs) So we're kind of in the same kind of rhetorical circle, I guess, Trevor. Um, the, the, The difference is rather than market forces, setting interest rates. We have central banks and their intervention attempting to set interest rates. And once you head down that path, man, you can walk away. But then if the market comes back in and says, guess what? We're going to demand X then. And if that then blows up every bank's balance sheets or every central bank's balance sheet that has all these assets at 0% and 1% and 2%, if it blows up all the derivatives and interest rate swaps that are based off of much lower interest rates, I mean, they just, they have no choice but to either, you know, cap it, call it yield curve control, like the Bank of Japan, we won't allow rates to go past a certain level and we're just going to be constant buyers or constantly be on the bid to make sure that's the case. Or we're, you know, we're just open-ended to just buying stuff without a target in mind. But again, it's kind of two versions of the same thing. And I, I just have contended in the 12 years since I've had TF Metals report, the math is the math. The Fed ultimately has to be the buyer of last resort in a, in a sense, discussing modern monetary theory before it was even thought of 12 years ago. You know, that the, the Federal Reserve, as the issuer of the currency, has to monetize the debt to keep the plate spinning. This, they're fiddling around, pretending as if they're going to go backwards. God, I saw, who was it, um, <clears throat> Bullard? No, Evans? I, I got they come at us so fast and furious these days, Trevor. I can't keep track. But one of those goons last week said, "Oh yeah, we're gonna completely, uh, we're gonna completely uh, work our balance sheet backward back to uh, normal by uh, 2025." And this jagoff is gonna retire next year, so he can go out and say whatever he wants. No one's gonna call him to the carpet in 2025 and say, "Wait, you lied." You know, he'll be living on a beach collecting 20 percent with Hans Gruber. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows where he'll be by then but they can say whatever they want um but in the end the math is the math and that's what's going to catch up to him and that's what's going to keep keep this merry-go-round going and that's why we just wait for that moment to come and uh, the metals will soar again craig the the bond market's just been wreaking havoc everywhere uh and yep. we we saw that you mentioned that the boe had to come in and be the buyer of last result resort to support the gilt market and the pension funds there in England. How is it any different than what we're witnessing here in the United States in regards to our bond market? How high does this thing continue to go until it becomes a serious issue where the Fed has to pick up and do exactly what the Bank of England does? It's impossible to know. That point is out there. We But... You know, with the dark pools and the credit default swaps and all the other derivative exposure of all the banks, it's impossible to know, you know, what tick is the tick that sends every all the dominoes cascading into each other. But it's definitely out there. You can look at, uh, if you want to just kind of a binary nominal idea, think of the interest uh, servicing the uh, national debt, that cost, you know, if... 
if rates, you know, on average go to 5% or something and the national debt is $31 trillion, well, that's $1.5 trillion a year just in interest cost. Well, in an economic slowdown, that would be about what the tax revenue is of the federal government. I mean, so on just that kind of math level, you can pick out something like that where it's just not sustainable to have higher interest rates. But I'd probably before we get there, <clears throat> you get kind of a a, a system threatening uh, tumbling of the dominoes uh, due to all of these, you know, derivatives or whatever that all these banks hold. You know, they all say, well, yeah, but, you know, it's not really that much notional money because, you know, it's all, you know, Bank A is bet off against Bank B, who holds it against Bank C, who holds it against Bank A, and all that. It's all, no, because if one of those banks is unbalanced, then all of a sudden Bank C is no good for Bank B, and Bank B is no good for Bank A, and the whole thing seizes up. And, again, I don't know what the absolute level of nominal interest rates is that does that but we, we're probably on our way to finding out because like i said with you got more sellers than buyers in the treasury market and if that's the case it, it i mean not only can rates keep rising but they could get disorderly too and boy that would that's what happened in the uk that's what brought the bank of england to this point two weeks ago Things were really getting disorderly, and the pound was sinking like a stone, too. Um, very much, very easily, and is likely to happen here. I, you just don't know yeah. what that, you know, that tick is. You know, does it get to 4.27? Is it to 4.72? Is it to 5? Who knows what that is, but it's it's out there, and it's coming. Okay. Craig, I uh, appreciate you joining us. I, 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 I know the uh, the... The, your your voice and your throat's just rebounding. I'm glad you didn't yell too much last night at, <laughs> at the refs there in Kansas City. That was some. Oh. I mean, I you know you know me. I'm not a Kansas City fan. I'm a Denver fan, but that's another story. But that was some of the worst refing I think I have seen. In fact, some of the worst NFL refing I've seen all weekend. To be quite right. frank. <laughs> it, it just everybody calls it the no fun league, you know, and all the other stuff. I know a lot of people just don't even pay attention to it anymore. But it is kind of a nice distraction. But when it seems, I mean, that just takes all the fun out of it. Yeah. You know, when you see stuff like that, you know, and favoritism being played for certain players. And it just, it's just no fun. So yeah. anyway, I hear you. But I, <clears throat> I didn't have to scream because the only person I was watching it with last, was, last night was my wife. And she was probably yelling at the TV louder than I was. <laughs> It's a good woman there. All right, Craig, thanks so much, my friend. We'll talk to you again here in the next uh, few weeks or so. Okay, buddy. All the best. The information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decisions.